are dismissed for their class. You saw most of them leave, but just in case you're still in the room, you do have a class. Before I get back into our series of the Spirit and Acts, I do want to especially welcome, of course, everyone here today is welcome, but we have a very special couple that we want to welcome, not only here, but who have moved back to be with us. It's a couple that many of you know, and for the last three years have served faithlessly, faithfully, tirelessly a College Station mission team, and we are thankful for that. They are heroes. Uh, but due to some life changes, both with their health and employment, they needed to move to Dallas. But we want to especially thank for their service in College Station, but also especially welcome to be a part of our family here in Dallas, Rolanda and Vince Pierce. So, where are they? There they are. Stand up. You stand up. Come on. So... Of course, Roe, we've known for a long time, but we have really enjoyed getting to know Vince and now to have them both with their son. Uh, to be here with us in the Dallas East, we're super, super excited. So please be praying for them that the health issues will get figured out. Uh, but uh, Vince is already starting this Monday, so we'll be praying for his employment there. So amen. All right, so it's been a little while. We've had a lot of different things going on. And every time I see the announcements, I go, when do we get a break? Like, I mean, I mean, we just need to have like one Sunday, nothing's planned outside of church, you know? It's just like, we need a little break or something. But uh, I guess that's what heaven is for, right? We got all of eternity to rest with, with God and each other. But uh, when we left off last, we saw some powerful miracles through Peter, but particularly two powerful visions by both Peter and Cornelius. The Spirit had told Peter, there are three men that are coming that are looking for you. So go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And that's where we left off. And this is a very pivotal moment of the early church. I'll be honest, I've been waiting for this lesson. Because this moment in Acts, truly, if it had not occurred, we might not even be here today. I don't think there's too many Jews in this room. And if there are, it's great to have you here. Thank you. You are God's people. But the majority of us, I would say, were Gentiles, right? See, because that's how they looked at it back then. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. That may be not how we look at it. But, you know, if we're honest, we kind of still do. For example, if you're Hispanic, you think, well, I'm Hispanic and everyone else is non-Hispanic. If I'm African, I'm African, everyone is not African. If I'm white, I'm white, and everyone else is non-white. I mean, if we're really honest, we still kind of think that way. But God changed all that. And this is one of those moments that the Spirit wanted to lead us to an entirely different understanding of what it means to be in God's church. Amen? And aren't we grateful, us Gentiles? Okay? We need to be grateful. Now, I know some of us are going, well, Derek, you didn't include me, because I'm not really one or the other. I'm a mutt. I can relate to that. When everyone said, ask me, so what's your background? I'm like, are you ready? And I've memorized it. You want to know what my background is? Because some of you may still be curious. Okay, here you go. Are you ready? Danish, English, Irish, Scottish, Italian, French, German, Hispanic, and Tarascon Indian. Okay, that's what I am. But I may have to get a DNA taste like Gordon and find out I may be something else. Because whenever I'm in Russia, they think I'm Georgian. Not Georgia, you know, in America, but the country Georgia. Okay, so 
Who knows? But the great thing is, it doesn't matter anymore. Because of what happens through this powerful encounter of Peter and Cornelius. Let's begin. Acts 10, verse, second part of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. I wonder if Peter asked, you know, hey, guys, could you come with me? You know, I'm going with uh, this guard, Roman, to, to Gentiles. I'd kind of like to have some guys along. You know, because it's, uh, you got to imagine, it, it, it's an insecure situation for Peter. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, before he saw him, I just imagine, what was Peter feeling like? I know the Spirit said to go with him, but my emotions are saying, is this a trap? You know, persecution was starting to happen. Man, what am I really going to? I, mean, I do recall that conversation, Jesus, you said, you're going to leave me where I don't want to go. Is this that moment? Is this a trap? And see, I think all of us are in the same boat as we have what the Spirit is telling us through the Scriptures, and then we have our emotions telling us. And it's up to our will, because we have free will, to choose which one we're going to listen to. So I can only imagine as Peter's walking up to that door. And maybe he had the brothers with him just so he wouldn't run. <laughs> and the door's about to open. You've got to put yourself in that situation. And this is what he sees. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. I have a pretty strong feeling Peter was not expecting that. This is a centurion, a man who others would bow down to. And Peter's just a fisherman. Yes, an apostle in the kingdom of God, but that doesn't mean everyone else thought that. And as he enters, centurion bows down in reverence. I love Peter's response, though. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. You know, I hope as we interact with people that even though we're fearful, even though our emotions say, I don't, I'm afraid to share about God because I don't know the response, I hope we listen to the Spirit more than our emotions. But when we even do that, and they are open and they are humble, I hope we don't start thinking higher of ourselves. I'm only a man like you. Because it can happen to where we can stay with someone, we can get this temptation to think, I know more than you. I'm better than you. We're not. God is better in our life. And He wants to be better in theirs. And He has chosen to use you to do it. But we're all men. We're all women. Okay? I appreciate Peter's humility there. But what a situation. What other moments in your life right now are you in that same conflict? Where you know what the Scriptures, the Spirit, and, and I want to say the Scriptures because, you know, in today's Christianity, uh, we can interpret what the Spirit is in all kinds of ways. But I know from the Scriptures, the Spirit is very clearly stated by Jesus. The Spirit will only say what I tell it to say. Well, where do we find Jesus' words? It's in the Bible. So if you really want to know what the Spirit is saying to you, you've got to go to the Bible. You can't go from, well, I feel the Spirit tell me. Well, if what the Spirit's telling you is contradictory to what the Bible said, it ain't that Spirit telling you. It's the evil spirit of your own sinful nature telling you. Oh, the Spirit tells me that this impure relationship is okay because I love her. 
I'm sorry, there's going to be some conflict with God on that one. Are we listening to the Spirit, or we listen to our emotions? And we all are going to be plagued with this conflict throughout our life. Sometimes it's not even about that conflict with you yourself, but it's your conflict for others, like your children. Well, the Spirit is telling me, I've got I've to let them face their consequences, but I want to intervene. I want to protect them. Our emotions say, intervene, spare them, bail them out. But you need to realize if we don't let go of their hands at times, when will they ever get their hand in God's? They've got to be able to let go of ours to hold on to God's. Are we listening to the Spirit? Are we listening to our emotions? Let's see what happens. Verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went aside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. <laughs> Do you sense Peter's insecurity? <laughs> you know, just in case, let me explain that this isn't normal. But God has shown me. See, there's your culture, and then there's God. There's your preference, and then there's principle. There's your feelings, and then there's truth. And we got to navigate those. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. I don't know if that's entirely true. But I guess verbally he didn't because you don't see it recorded. But I got to think that as he's walking there, there was probably some ideas of objection in his heart. Just as we all face. Am I not right? We feel that. But he obeyed the Spirit. Peter obeyed it. And he went. May I ask why you sent for me? Now that's the funny part. God talked to Cornelius with some very specific direction, which we're going to see here in a minute. And God spoke to Peter with some very specific direction, but not everything. He just said, go. So Peter went. He got there. He's like, okay, I've obeyed. Now what? Uh, what do you need? <laughs> We've got to be comfortable with that. That we're not going to know the whole plan of God. That sometimes all God is just saying, just go stand up in front of someone, start the conversation, and then wait and say, okay, I'm here. I stop. We're talking. What do you need? I don't need anything. You stop me. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean we got to get used to that awkwardness. Because the Spirit doesn't always explain every detail. But we got to obey it to provide an opportunity for the Spirit to work. Verse 30. You know, it, before we read it, it is good to see that it seems like Peter's beginning to understand his vision a little more. You recall in the last lesson, three times. That just seems to be a thing with Peter. He has to be told three times. He didn't quite get it. But you can see as he's obeyed God, that vision's become more clear. Now I realize God said, don't call anything unclean. He's referring to his vision. See, sometimes, guys, we won't understand God's vision for our lives until we're willing to obey the simple things. Only as he started to obey the simple things, go with these men, go to Cornelius, only then did the vision become clear in his mind. See, the Spirit is going to challenge a lot of our preconceived, 
perspectives, especially in our relationships with others. Our judge differences, Gentile Jew, white, black, poor, rich. The Spirit's going to challenge those preconceived judgments, and we've got to be willing to listen. Verse 30, Cornelius answered, three days ago, oh, the Lord just seems to love three days. I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius. I find it funny that so often in the Bible when an angel appears to someone, that when it's actually a person of God, they have to say their name twice, but when it's a, a pagan or a Gentile, they say it once. It's almost like they listen better. I'm not sure. Just, just interesting. Peter, Peter, you know, Cornelius, he just says it once. Just a thought. Just kind of find that interesting. God has heard your prayer. And as Bill mentioned earlier, remembered your gifts to the poor. You don't think benevolence impacts how God looks at you? The reason this Gentile, this Roman, this centurion was heard by God was his prayer and his concern for the poor. That's a pretty powerful statement right there, something we need to consider. And I thank God that we have so many opportunities to be able to be like Cornelius. Saturday Academy, Mosaic House, and so many other things. Amen? Amen. Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. He said, send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow. I just have to put myself in Peter's mind. I mean, all the other stuff he was already thinking, he's already bowed down to it, and now he's just like, so, tell me everything. What? The Lord didn't tell me what. He just said, come. Well, the angel didn't tell me everything. He just said, go get you. You start to see how the Spirit kind of works a little bit? That it's not autopilot. There's a part you must play. But the Spirit is definitely working. For one, the Spirit knew. Hey, go get Simon. Called him by name. He's at this house with the tanner. In case you ever wondered, does God know what I'm doing? Yes! He knows what's going on. And I think that's the part that in evangelism we so often forget. I don't know if I should share my faith. How do you know if you should or shouldn't? Maybe God has already determined everything, and he's waiting on you to speak up. He's waiting on you to listen to the Spirit. Amen? So, I'm here. The angel was specific, but the angel didn't tell him what he needed to know. For some reason, the angel said, but someone can tell you. A sinner. A human being. One not of like you. He's a Jew. Why didn't God just tell him with the angel? Because I think God wants us to understand that following him has to do with not only a relationship with him, but with each other. And if we don't get over our, our 
preferred preferences in relationships, a preferred judgment of people and our differences, then we'll never truly understand God. And so he purposely does not just reveal himself. He sends sinners, often people different than you. The guy who studied with me is African-American. Cool guy, actually, Charles Waller. One of the things he said to me is, if I don't learn to dance, he won't baptize me. I don't know if he was joking or not, but I was practicing, you know. You know, I, I, was, I was practicing. I wanted to get in the kingdom, you know what I mean? <laughs> what if I just immediately go, well, he's not, he's not like me. I didn't care what color he was. He had the truth. I didn't. Right? But it's funny how that can play a part, couldn't it? Still can, even for those who claim to be disciples. We've got to get over it. Now, I believe in representation. I believe we need to represent the city we're in. We're a diverse city in the DFW Metroplex, so the church should represent that. Okay? It should. But if I'm in Russia, it's going to be majority Russians. I can't get around that. But again, it's not about the, the race. It's about responding to the message. And Cornelius is waiting there. Help me out. And so Peter began to speak. And that's no easy task. What's the everything? Let's see what Peter does. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize. See, the vision is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer as he's obeyed and listened. And I think the the commands that we need to appreciate about Cornelius the most wasn't just obeying to go get him, but was the obey to listen to whoever God sent. He said, I'm here, teach me everything. He trusted someone, no one like him, to hear the message. That's a command I think we all need to obey better, is to listen, not just to the message, but even the messenger God chooses to put in your life. That's a tough one. Let's just be honest. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, we just heard that passage, but I think we need to take a moment and break it down because 
Cornelius asked, tell me everything the Lord has commanded you to say. What is the everything that Peter shared? Because I have a feeling it's the everything we need to be sharing. It's the principles, not the preferences. It is the truth, not just the way we may apply it. We've got to make sure we're preaching the everything that every person on this earth needs to hear. And these are really powerful. Let's start. First one. God does not show favoritism. Are we really preaching that? If you judge anyone on any different standard, race, economy, background, gender, then you're not preaching that message. There needs to be an acceptance of everyone, how they dress, how they talk. Now, that doesn't mean we allow them to stay in a sinful state, right? But there needs to be this understanding that God shows no favoritism. Well, but I didn't have as a sinful life as him. Doesn't matter. God doesn't show favoritism. You think just because you had less consequences of sin in your life? All sin is death. There's no favoritism here. Let me talk to the teens, since our younger ones are all out of the room. Well, I've been raised in the church. Yes, you've been raised in it, but you're not in it until you're a baptized disciple. Whoa, whoa, what did you say, Derek? Yes, your children are not in the church. They've been raised in it. But until they make Jesus Lord of life, they're not a part of that body. And I think we need to remember that. There's no favoritism because you've been raised in it. But man, do you have a way larger benefit than we had who had to be invited outside of it. But we need to not get fuzzy on that. I know that's challenging for some of the teens to hear, but that's the truth, and I love you too much not to share it. Just because you've been raising it doesn't mean you're in it. And those of us who are filling these seats, just because we show up doesn't mean we're in it either. If we're not living as he called us to live, amen? Second, God's acceptance of those who fear him and do what is right. So much of the make-you-feel-good Christianity of today just wants to remove fear altogether. That's not true Christianity. It lists fear first. It's not all good. This world is evil and our sinful nature is. And we need to fear God. But he does accept us. See, so often we want to get rid of consequence, judgment, and we just want grace. But do you realize if you get rid of judgment, you actually did get rid of grace? You got rid of it. Only as serious as the judgment is, is how incredible the grace is. If I know I should die and go to hell, but he spares me, that's grace. But if there's no judgment, then that grace is emptied. We need to make sure we're preaching both. Fear, but also his grace. Amen? For those who do what is right. Good news of peace. Now, true peace doesn't mean everything's going great. Because God's definition of peace is a little different than the kind of peace we often seek. God never promises your life is going to be easy. We're following Jesus. If I recall, his life wasn't so easy. But he can give you a peace that transcends understanding. I mean, how does it say that about Jesus in Hebrews, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? 
That doesn't make sense. Because he had a peace of knowing that he was doing God's will and not his own that allowed him to face those hardships. Because we've got to make sure that we can't promise people what God doesn't promise. But there is a peace through Jesus. But if we're not expressing a trust in that peace ourselves, it's going to be really hard to preach it to others. We've got to grow in that understanding of the peace through Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. Well, that kind of really includes quite a bit of stuff, doesn't it? Guys, we don't want to water down true devotion to the Lord. Oh, as long as they come to church. No, that's not enough. Well, as long as they give in the plate, that's not enough. It's Lord of all. And he gives several examples in the Bible. We know them. Luke 14. Counting the cost. Building that tower. Man, it's pretty clear what you give. Everything. He's either Lord of all or Savior of none. Are we preaching that message? Are we living that ourselves? That's a very challenging question. God anointed Jesus with power and the Holy Spirit. You know, I know when we're trying to share the gospel with people, we're trying to point them to Jesus, but are you really describing Jesus? See, I think so, so often we can get it messed up and, and focus more on getting them to join church than in following Christ. We've got to show them who Jesus really is, because unless they fall in love with Jesus, they ain't going to stay here. Because last I, I recall, we're all still sinners, and we probably will sin against each other. And it's only the love of Jesus that allows me to bear with that. Right? How am I still married after all these years? We hurt each other because I love Jesus. My wife loves Jesus. And when we go, well, if I'm loving Jesus, I've got to love you too even when you hurt me. And we've got to do that in the body as well. Are we really showing people the power? Because let me tell you, when they really see the power and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life... And then you lead them to the understanding that Jesus wants to give you that power. He wants to put that same Holy Spirit in you. I can change. But not if we keep our eyes off Jesus. God was with Jesus who went around doing good. <laughs> That's the hardest thing that I had to admit in my journey of following God is when I had to admit that 23 years of my religious life really had nothing about doing. I believed. But being a Christian is about believing and therefore doing. Jesus went around, didn't just say things. He did things. His faith was followed in action. And if we're going to claim to follow him, then there's got to be things we do because of our belief. But how many of us can say, well, I believe in Jesus. And then you go and sin. We've got to help them understand to follow Jesus means we've got to do what he did. Love as he loved, serve as he served, sacrifice as he sacrificed. Not my will, your will. We've got to do the same thing. Jesus healed all who were under the power of the devil. I don't want to get into a whole other theological discussion, but that's a little interesting, don't you think? Healed those... So this is actual physical ailments who are held under the power of the devil. 
If you didn't before connect your physical and your spiritual, you should right now. That sometimes our physical issues may relate to an actual satanic attack. Not necessarily all of them. A lot of our health issues are of our own doing. We're not taking care of the temple that God has given us. And we, we got to stop, you know, piddle-paddling over that. I'm not talking about weight. I'm talking about health. But weight is an issue with our health. And I know we, oh, Derek, don't go there. I have to go there. I have to go there. You have got to get healthy. Because if you're not, it's room and an opportunity for Satan's attacks spiritually. We've got to be willing to get in each other's lives. Now, we should not judge. And you can't look at everything the same. Some is laziness. Others is actual physical issues that limit change. But we should all be concerned. He healed them. Why? Because they were physically sick? No, he healed them because they were under the power of the devil is what it says. There is a connection between our physical and our spiritual lives. I think we need to remember that. Jesus was killed by hanging on a cross. We can never escape that part of the message, as uncomfortable as it is. As Chad said, it is true. The most powerful moment of us coming together every Sunday is not the sermon, it's not the worship, it's the communion. It's remembering what Jesus did for us. Are we preaching Christ crucified? Because the resurrection isn't a powerful unless you remind people why he died first. We've got to preach him crucified, and somehow, how are we responsible for that? We can't, we can't shy away from that. The early Christian church, man, that was their message. You killed Jesus. Try that in your evangelism. Now, I'm not saying that's the best way to go about it in today's society, but it still needs to be our message. I heard about church all the time. I saw the scriptures. But, man, when they confronted me with the cross and that I put in there, that changed everything. That changed everything. And it happened on my own. I was converted during a time where they were going through all the core studies of what it means to follow Jesus. So I got the booklet ahead of time. And I cheated. I went ahead. And all of a sudden, I saw this medical account. I haven't even done the cross study yet. But I read that account. I just started bawling. I was like, I did that. I hung him on the cross. Guys, let's never forget that. But be thankful he didn't stay there. (laughs) Okay? He resurrected, amen? I mean, are you seeing all the everything that Peter is sharing? These are the things we need to be talking about. God raised him from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself. Even as the Son of God, he had to trust in God to do that. Sometimes we try to be more than Jesus because we try to raise ourselves without any help from God or others. <laughs> Good luck with that. Even Jesus knew, no, I'm going to have to trust in God. God raised him. Because we've got to make sure we trust in God and the way God works, which is through sinners. Through people in your life. If you don't have at least five close friends right now in this church... I'm concerned for you. I am. 
There's a name to every face that has influenced my life in Christ. And they're imperfect people. And I'm one of those for other people. Hopefully. You have to ask them. And you are for other people. And you need to be for other people. Guys, we need that. God raised Jesus from the dead. We can't raise ourselves. We need to trust in God and his ways. Amen? Amen. Jesus chose witnesses to preach his message. If you responded to the gospel and you claimed Jesus Lord and you were baptized in his name, you weren't just forgiven. You weren't just given the Holy Spirit. You were chosen. Chosen to be his witness. Oh, but Derek, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Lawrence, man, that, that's today. I mean, I'm just starting. Uh-huh. But, but what am I going to say? You'll learn. You've chosen, Lawrence, chosen to be a witness. And I, I can see his face like, oh, my Lord, what am I getting into? Something amazing. And see, when you really embrace that idea that you're a witness, you don't just wing it anymore. You go, well, man, I better know my stuff. I better have deep convictions. I better make sure I'm not a hypocrite. I better know the word. If you've been a Christian longer than a year, you should know every scripture to help someone become a Christian. There's no excuse. You've been chosen to be a witness. And there's nothing quite like it. I love being baptized. I love that day of salvation. It was phenomenal. As Chad shared just the gratitude for that moment, how my life changed. But you know what keeps me grateful? Is seeing the word of God work in someone else's life. Through me, a sinner. Being a witness is a powerful thing. You've been chosen. But Derek, I'm not very good at talking to people. Take it out with him. I didn't choose you. God chose you. You might not have chosen me. God did. So whether I chose you or not, if God did, then I chose you. I'm good with it. Whoever you are, whatever challenges, whatever weaknesses, whatever background, he chose you. So we're on the same team. Let's go. We're witnesses. God chose Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. Don't skip to the second part, the dead. It's the living too. In other words, he's still judging our lives right now. He's, he's trying to mold us, amen? And finally, there is forgiveness of sins through his name. These are some powerful statements, and I think we had to take the time to show them. i got to speed up, though, because the message is taking longer. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What just happened? What's interesting about this moment is what it says about the disciples. They were astonished. Why? 
Didn't this happen all the time? No, it didn't. It only happened one time before. Acts chapter 2. On the apostles, Jews. So even the Christians are like, this pouring out thing, this tongue thing. They were astonished, like, whoa, wait a minute. That hasn't happened in a long time. But somehow in today's Christianity and charismatic and Pentecostal faith, they think like this should be a regular occurrence. That's not how it was. It happened in the beginning in Acts 2. And now it happens here, and it won't happen again. So I'm actually going to cut the sermon off here and leave you hanging. <laughs> because I still got a ways to go, and I want to be respectful of our time. So the next time we meet, that'll be in two weeks, because we have a congregational next week. We're going to find out what does that mean. And we're going to really get into what the tongues, and we're going to look at some other scriptures to clarify and make clear all these questions and doubts that so much has been going around in our society today that we're going to know the truth. Amen? But this is an amazing encounter, but it's not yet over. So what do we leave with today? Because I want to leave you with a decision we need to make today. That we are going to go and make sure we're unified by principle rather than preference. It's not about how we worship. It's the fact we worship God. It's not about what race we are. It's that we're his people. It's not about our feelings. It's about his truth. So we got to make sure that we leave from this lesson that God and the Spirit are trying to teach Peter, trying to teach the Gentiles, that we are one, not because of differences. And we actually need those differences. We're one because of principle, who Jesus is, and him calling us to him. With that, we are dismissed. Amen.